Um, today we're going to look into the text of a few passages of scripture to dig into the topic of spiritual maturity. Um, if you would, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13.11. Um, but before you do that, if you would, um, bow your head and uh, pray with me. Um, we come before you, Lord, really humbly, and um, we ask that you will let us comprehend the message you have given me and allow me to articulate that message well. Um, hallowed be thy name, and all glory be to you, God. Um, amen. All right. The verse reads, When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 1 Corinthians 13:11. As we stop to chew on this verse, it's important to ask a few questions. What do children speak of? What do children think of? What exactly is the object of a child's reason? To answer these questions, let's first ask a different question. How do children speak, think, and reason? The answer to this question as to how children speak, think, and reason is that they do such things selfishly. Children do not think about how something plays into the grand scheme of God's sovereign will. But rather, children speak, think, and reason with their own interests as the foremost priority. You don't have to teach a child how to look out for themselves. I didn't have to be taught how to steal another kid's juice box in kindergarten. I didn't be, have to be taught how to call another little girl ugly in second grade. No one ever had to teach me how to lie, cheat, or steal. No one had to teach the children in The Lord of the Flies to do the things they did in that novel. Children and humans in general see the world through a set of selfish eyes. We see the world through a set of sinful human eyes. Now that we have established how one speaks like a child, how one thinks like a child, how one reasons like a child, now that we understand how one childishly does these things, which is to do them selfishly, we can deduce the object of childish and selfish speaking, thinking, and reasoning. The object is the self. When the self is the pinnacle of one's existence, then one is existing selfishly and childishly, thus existing like a human does, existing like a totally depraved human exists, existing as we naturally do. Now that we have a grasp on our selfishness, let's explore this a little bit more. If you would, please turn to Ecclesiastes 11.10. Before we dig into this verse, let's examine a word that is echoed throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, vanity. Let's ask, what exactly is a vanity? The definition of vanity, according to the Random House Dictionary, is something that lacks any real value. As Christ followers, we know that value comes only from God. Our lives, our actions, our decisions, even our possessions take on value based on their alignment with God's sovereign will. So understanding this, we can assert that vanities are void of any value because they, do not, they are not intended to fulfill the will of God, but are rather intended to fulfill our own childish and selfish agendas. Under this chain of reason, our selfish actions are vanities and thus pointless. Now that we are examining childish selfishness, let's look at a verse in Ecclesiastes that deals particularly with the vanity of youth. Please read Ecclesiastes 11.10 with me. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. You may be wondering how this verse is related to the verse in 1 Corinthians 13.11. You may be thinking to yourself, what is the relative factor between these verses? What ties them together beyond the mention of youth? Well, before we examine any other relative factor between the verses, let's examine their similarity in mentioning the word youth. 
what does the verse mean when it says that youth and the dawn of life are vanity? Instead of another one of my big, drawn-out chains of reasoning, I'll just describe a few of the basic problems associated with youth with a quote from a more contemporary figure, Craig Ferguson. Now, I get that late-night talk show hosts are not usually an amazing source of wisdom, but Craig really hit the nail on the head with this quote. Youth became more and more and more important. Society started turning on its head because, you see, youth has a byproduct, and that's inexperience. By the nature of being young, you don't have any experience. It's not your fault. You're too young. And you're young, and you're kind of stupid. So they sell you stuff. Craig Ferguson. You see, it's this vain and pointless deification and worship of youth that is vanity. It's companies shoving the image of the perpetual 20-year-old toothpick lady down women's throats. It's culture telling men that to be a man, you have to have six abs on your stomach, six beers in your hand, and six women in your arms. It's ourselves buying into this load and worshiping youth in the dawn of life and succumbing to its vanity. Our pointless pursuit of youth instead of God, well, that's vanity. We worship youth instead of God. Fleeting, tentative, and temporary youth instead of omniscient, all-powerful, just, and holy God. We choose trivial, worthless junk over God. Can anyone here guess what that might be considered? Uh, do you think we should consider vanity? Absolutely. To pursue anything other than God and His will is nothing but vanity. Now, just because the pursuit and worship of youth is vanity does not mean that a God-centered enjoyment of youth is vanity. I want the question to be asked, what is a God-centered enjoyment of youth, and how does one have this enjoyment? Another question that I would like you to ask is this. Why is it important to have a God-centered enjoyment of youth? Well, this whole thing of enjoyment of a God-centered youth stems from something a lot bigger, but we'll get into that momentarily. First, let's examine how one has a God-centered enjoyment of youth. The way to find true godly pleasure in your youth and your life in general is to ground everything in God's word. Let's look at Psalms 119, verse 9. It says in this verse, How can a young man keep his ways pure? And it answers by saying, By guarding it according to your word. Let's kind of dig into this a little bit. A young man trying to keep his life pure. That's not very easy, considering our tendency as young men and women and humanity at large to worship other things instead of God, other vanities instead of God. How can one keep their ways pure? How can anyone keep their ways pure? How does one abstain from one's own childish selfishness? How does one resist the vanities of youth worship or any of humanity's other vices for that matter? The answer is quite simple. If one wishes to resist the temptations of life, then one must first ground their entire life in God's word and surrender their entire life to God's will. Simple, yes. Easy, no. We'll talk more about the process of surrender and spiritual grounding momentarily. But for now, let's talk a little more about the importance of enjoying youth in a godly way. Let's talk, if only for a moment, about enjoying the pleasures that God provides. I'm going to give you another quote, but this one from a source a wee bit more theologically accurate than Craig Ferguson. This quote is from John Piper in his book, Desiring God. The quote is, in essence, the premise of the book. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Now, if only to provide some clarification, let's re-examine that little bit I said earlier about vanities and how they're you know, pointless. 
Can anyone remember why they are pointless? Do any of you remember why vanities have no value? Vanities are pointless because they are not intended to perpetuate the will of God, but they are centered on the sinful self. They are of no consequence to God's will. Now, when we engage in these petty and pointless vanities, we are rebelling against God, and we are therefore sinning. I would also like to state this concept, that not taking pleasure in God and his glory is a vanity. With this in mind, I would like us to remember the idea that vanities are sinful. If it is vanity to not take pleasure in God, then to do so is sinful. You see, to not take your ultimate fulfillment from God means that you automatically take your fulfillment from something else, such as, oh, I don't know, the vain worship and deification of youth that I've been ranting on for the past little while. So we've had a good run talking about vanity and whatnot, but let's tie everything together. Now that we've riffed on spiritual immaturity, vanity, and taking pleasure in God, let's look at the last little bit of 1 Corinthians 13.11. Let's think about becoming a man and putting aside childish things. Think. How does one put aside one's own vain worship of youth or any other idol that takes Christ's place for that matter in order to surrender to God's will? How does one, to go back to the passage in Ecclesiastes, remove vexation from one's own body and put away pain from one's heart? How does one do all of this? To begin to answer this question, let's go back to our examination of Psalm 119, verse 1. I said that for one to keep one's way pure, one must ground themselves entirely in God. After we said that, we connected that back to the thought of living a God-centered youth. I said that further on the sermon, we would connect both of those points back to the big picture. I said several things to that effect throughout the sermon. I said several things to that effect as we discussed man's selfishness. I said this as we discussed our worship of said selfishness. I said this as we discussed living a God-centered youth and as we discussed taking our pleasure in God. Now is the time for that big picture I've been referencing. The way to put aside childish and vain pursuit of youth, to live a God-centered youth, to stop worshipping our own invented God, to start worshipping the real God, is to do everything in your power to realize that you have no power to overcome your idols. No power to save yourself from your sins. Just like Mike said this morning in his testimony that he could not overcome his idol through his own power, he had to surrender it all to God. We must also surrender everything over to God because we can overcome our own idols by ourselves. We must surrender it all to God. This is the way to grow in spiritual maturity. This is the way to put aside your childish ways and become a man. Once again, I will use the saying, simple, yes, easy, no. As wrapped up in our own personal idolatries as we are, it is very hard to get unwrapped from our own personal idolatries. In fact, us weak humans are unable to escape. We are unable to save ourselves and thus require a savior. We require the gospel. The same gospel that saves us from sin and death and darkness and hell will save us from our vanities and idolatries and trivialities. Christ is always saving us. Christ saved us from our sins. Christ is saving us from our sins. And Christ will save us in the future. Christ saves us from our idolatry. Christ saves us from every idol that we are crushing ourselves by worshiping. He is continuously covering our sins and using us as components in the big scheme of his will. Now there are some in here who do not understand the concept of a savior because they have never experienced a savior. 
To those of you who are in that situation, let me give you a breakdown of the gospel. God is holy, just, and perfect. God created man to be with him. Man decided that they would rather try to become better than God. Man rebelled against his plan and gave themselves to their own desires. Man tried to become its own master, but instead became its own slave. Man became a slave to its own rebellion. Man spat in God's face and fell under God's wrath. But God, being rich in love, satisfied his own wrath that was due to fall upon us on himself in the form of Jesus Christ. Jesus took all of the wrath that was due for us while he was on the cross. He took the full force of God's holy wrath to provide every human being with a chance to salvation. Our only option is to surrender it all to God or be crushed by God's wrath. And this is how you surrender. You repent of your sins and trust and faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross. Now there are some of you who have already repented, but you are struggling with vanity. You are putting some pointless idol in the place of Christ. What you need to do is get back to the gospel. Remember who your Savior is and what he did. Surrender your idols as well as yourself to God. Repent. Second Peter chapter 1 says that Christ has provided everything we need for salvation and sanctification. In a moment we will be singing before the throne of God above. If you would like to come down to the altar, be it your first time to give your life to Christ, or be it that you need to repent of an idol, then myself as well as Jesse will be down here on the altar to guide and pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you again humbly. Um, I pray that those in here that do not know you will recognize the gospel and that you will call them to you and that you will save them, Lord. We pray for those who have idols and vanities that they are still repenting of. We pray that you will take their idols and that you will smash them, mercilessly destroying their idols to show your mercy to them. All this we pray in your name. Amen.